Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, John and I are going to talk about the fact that God is the one who saves sinners. And by that, we mean he does all of the work of salvation from the very beginning all the way to the very end. In other words, God is the one who will bring us all the way home. And we're going to think about this from the book of Ezekiel, particularly Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, where God speaks about what he will do and where he talks about things like stones and bones that are very, very dry and how those things relate to us and how they demonstrate and depict beautifully his powerful work in salvation. So we hope that as you listen to this episode today, you are encouraged and that your souls are comforted as you think about what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay tuned. We're excited to announce we have a brand new podcast available called the Kingsmen Podcast. It's where we are reclaiming biblical manhood by training and equipping men for the work of the kingdom. You can find it anywhere you download a podcast. You can also watch it on YouTube. We have new episodes that come out every Monday. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a confessional, reformed, and pastoral perspective. And if you're not sure what all that means, simply put, we're hoping to clarify the gospel and to reclaim the purpose of the kingdom of Christ. Has this sure been lost? Well, there we're that is. We're going to talk about that. So. Obscured. Obscured yeah. is also a good word. Obscured. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of clutter on top of those things in mm-hmm. terms of the gospel and also the mission of the church and yeah. and the redemptive kingdom of Christ and all those good things. Yeah, I mean, so uh, before we go on too long without introducing ourselves, that would be just inappropriate. <laughs> Your hosts today are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And I am Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, John, it's good to be with you today, man, on a rainy Wednesday in both of our worlds, I believe. And we're going to talk about the scriptures today, which is Mm -hmm. good. I I don't know that I've got a lot in terms of my own just emotional bandwidth to bring. And so it's always good to look to the book and talk about what the Lord has said, my man. And you're going to tee that up for us in just a minute. But do you have any of your handy dandy, fun, little like flashy announcements that everybody loves? We do. We we did a t-shirt like phrase. I always have to be careful when you say t-shirt contest, right? So we did a, we picked your phrase and then we're going to put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. And uh, yeah, I think that's coming out soon. So it was fun. You guys had some great ideas. We had tons of suggestions and we picked the top five. And out of that, we're uh, putting together design and by now it should be out and you could go buy it on our website. So how about that? How about that? So we're going to do that. Uh, It was fun. And then uh, the new podcast, uh, Kingsman, is out. And then I have one, a podcast, I'm pretty sure it's out by now, that we started with my wife, and it's really designed for our church, but it might be beneficial for you. It's called Outside Eden, and it's a podcast where my wife and I talk for about 15 to 20 minutes about just life from uh, outside the garden. So two fallen sinners uh, who are trying to figure out how to love each other in marriage and then parent other sinners. So yeah. um, real conversations. Um, and uh, so you can go um, to our website and find that and yeah. listen to those. So sinners, it, sinners everywhere, man. Sinner, yeah, sin is everywhere. 
So yeah, I'm excited about today's topic because uh, one, I just preached it and this happens a lot. Justin and I, well, next week's podcast is going to be uh, related to something that Justin's preaching and uh, it's just what's And they're both hearts. kind of related to one another as the Lord would have it. Because yeah. Well, it's as though both... God's word is one cohesive whole, mm, but anyway. It's like we're preachers of, a, of Jesus or something. And yeah. so they're always going to be connected. Like there's one divine author and things like that. <laughs> I did listen to our episode from Ken Jones today. It's live and... Uh, Man, is he's so great. I love Ken's listening great, to him. Yeah, yeah, it was so encouraging. If you haven't heard that one, you should go listen to it. All right, we're wasting time. We're not wasting. We're losing time. Uh, so today's episode is going to be from Ezekiel 36 and 37. And what's fascinating about the book of Ezekiel, so here's about a 10-second flyby, right? You have uh, Ezekiel is preparing to be a priest. God calls him out and says, you're going to be a prophet. And so he is then in exile, is in Babylon, yeah. and he keeps having these visions between Jerusalem and Babylon. And he's mm -hmm. been, his whole life experience is to be, he's basically an actor. He has to go and do all these different acts to try and show Israel their sin. Mm -hmm. And when you finally get to Ezekiel chapter 36, it's been just a downhill ride. It's just bad. And in chapter 35, they get the news. The temple is destroyed. The, the city is collapsed. There's nothing left for Israel. Uh, they've, they're divided. They're scattered all over the world now. And it's hopelessness, utter hopelessness. And that's where you pick up in chapter 36. And what's uh, amazing about chapter 36 is that Jesus, I mean, Jesus, it is Jesus, but God, God has this section that he, he gives to Ezekiel and he makes it very clear. He says, it's not for your sake, but for my name's sake. In other words, for the reputation of who I am, because I made a promise mm -hmm. called the covenant of grace. <laughs> I made a promise I would do this. And he says it at the beginning and he says it at the end of this section. And he, and he keeps saying, not because of what you have done. In other words, everything they had done up to this point, the way he describes it is it's really, it's very graphic. Like if there's children listening to this, I sure. can't really read it, but if you go and read Ezekiel 35 Ooh. to 37. Yeah. And there are the, other chapters in Ezekiel that are also quite graphic. Yeah. Hey, I'll just throw this out there. Um, when Jesus, when, when God talks about metaphorically entering into a marriage relationship with Israel, the ways in which that he identifies her as his own, as oh, he yeah. puts a ring in her nose, just saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for those of you that want to go from a ring on the finger to a ring in the nose, totally biblical. That's what God did to his there, bride. There you have it. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll just keep going. So what's interesting is that we're gonna we're gonna not gonna read all of Ezekiel 36, but we're gonna just look at a, a, a section of the scriptures there. And when you look at it, it's really broken down into four sections, and then we're gonna hop over to chapter 37. But here's where I want to start us is that Justin and I were having this conversation beforehand, and as I had time to, to study for this, what became overwhelming to me was how God was trying to use in multiple illustrations how horrendous our situation really were, was, is. <laughs> and yeah. that at times when people think about their prior state before salvation, we we somehow always connect the spiritual world with the physical world. And so we assume, well, we're alive intellectually. So therefore I was alive spiritually. I was just 
confused or lost. I was wandering, and now I found my way to God. And that's just not how he describes the relationship between us and himself. And he uses uses, uh, Israel as an illustration of our situation, right? So we know that Paul says the law came to us, Romans 7, the law came to us to show us sin. He goes, I didn't know what coveting was until the law told me what coveting was. And so the law is there. Israel has been under the law, and they have failed horribly. Not only have they failed, but they failed to the point to where they where they could go get their sins cleansed temporarily and be in the presence of God and his blessings is now destroyed. Every spiritual And by that you mean the temple complex, the sacrificial yes, system. Yes, sacrificial system. So their physical and spiritual situation is at the absolute worst it could possibly be. And then God comes to Ezekiel and says, all right, this is what I want you to prophesy to them. So this is uh, Ezekiel 36, and we'll just start in verse 24. And Justin, I'm just going to come out of the gates with some clarity here. Uh, we get very confused uh, in the New Testament at times with the word repent and repentance, right? That one must repent in order to be saved. Well, I want you to take very close notice here that God is the one who's doing the repenting here. He, mm-hmm. Sorry, he is repenting us is how I would describe this. Right. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So first of all, it's the nation of Israel, because of their disobedience, have been scattered. They're, they're, they're away. So the first mm-hmm. act of God is he brings them to himself. Second act, he cleanses us. Mm-hmm. This is Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness mm-hmm. and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Mm-hmm. And this is a metaphor Israel would have understood because in order for them to be in the presence of God, they had yeah. to have ceremonial cleansing. That's right. To which we understand later on, this is the blood of Christ, which we will learn of. And then you go from he cleanses us to then he awakens us or he implants faith in us. Look at verse yeah. 36. This is, I'm sorry, 26. This is the big one, right? This is the verse everybody loves. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and Mm -hmm. give you a heart of flesh. Uh, What a picture from God. He is saying the capacity to love and to believe, to have affection towards me, what was inside of you was a rock that couldn't do it. I mean, Justin, can you get any more dead than a stone? No. No, there's no, like, well, we've said it before. There's, There's not deader than dead. There's not harder than stone. And yeah, the Lord's pretty clear. Right. So what's, what's great about this, you know, first John four, nine, we love because he first loved us. It was his love, John three, it was his love that caused this action. The I will statements are all driven by his love. So God isn't responding to our love or to our repentance or to our cleansing. You know, sometimes people say, unless you make Jesus Lord of your life, which means you're turning from making Mm -hmm. something else, Lord, and making Jesus Lord, you cannot be saved. Well, no, that, that has to be God. So he repents us, he cleanses us, and then he gives us faith. He gives mm-hmm. us the capacity to really believe and love. And then lastly, the thing that we often want to take credit for, he empowers us with his spirit. This is verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Justin, even our obedience, mm-hmm. which we would say the word monergistic, if you don't know that word, monergism. Well, let's just do this. Justin, tell them the difference between monergism and synergism. Monergism means there's one worker 
mm-hmm. uh, mana one uh, ergo work. Uh, and then synergism means that there's multiple workers. So it's a cooperative effort. And so in other words, to be a monergist means that we believe that God is the one worker in salvation. To be a synergist means that we cooperate with God in our salvation. Yeah. And our laying our cards on the table, our understanding from Ezekiel 36, and of course the entirety of Scripture, is that God is the one who saves sinners, and we mean that holistically. Yeah. He is the worker from beginning to end. Uh, he begins it, and he brings us all the way home. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's important that when he says, I will put my spirit within you, the 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 driving factor and cause of your change of heart and change of mind and then mm-hmm. obedience to the law is always is always God in his working. So when you look at it, every area of, his, of that was handed to them, which is a covenant of works, the law was handed to them and said, if you obey the law, then you will live. They proven that not one of them could do this. And so sure. that when you're introduced, God finally comes in at the moment of their disaster. And instead of crossing his arms and saying, see, I told you, you couldn't do it. That's when his mercy comes in. This is why I think it's so important. I don't think you should hear this in a judgment term. I think you should hear this more in a, hey, just to remind you in the future when you have the tendency to want to think that somehow we entered into this relationship based upon something you did. Mm-hmm. This is Ezekiel 36, 32. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to mm-hmm. you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Sure. It's, it's, it's good. He's saying this is, the remember that my act of mercy is just that. It's an act of mercy and love and kindness. Yeah. And you should remember where you were when this comes to you. And I think that's such a healthy reminder that, you know, Justin, what do we do every Sunday at church, right? We give people the law and it's full and heavy weight so that they are confounded, right? Yeah. I love how that word, it says ashamed and confounded. Remember yeah. that. Yeah, because you've touched on it. I'll just go ahead and double down. I mean, Romans 3.20, right? Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 5.20 is also the law came in to increase the trespass. Now that's particularly pertaining to the trespass of Adam. We may talk about that more even next right. week. But then also Romans 7.13 that you already mentioned that the commandment was given so that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment be made to be sinful beyond measure, right? Mm-hmm. Galatians 3.19, the law was given because of transgressions, right? So the point there is that God's law is given through Moses to show us how utterly unable we are to do what God requires. And Israel had learned this lesson and things, as you said, I think well in your sum, your summary, your synopsis, everything's really bad to the extent that uh, not only have they been, they've been literally driven out of the land that God gave them, the land of Canaan, and they're now under foreign rule and oppression. And the temple has been destroyed, which as you said, was the place where they could go to find ceremonial cleansing and to be ceremonially clean in God's eyes, that's no longer a possibility for them. In other words, everything's lost. It's utterly hopeless. Can't get much worse from the perspective of the covenant people of Israel. And then the Lord steps in and makes it quite plain how this thing goes and who the one is that does the work of saving. And I'm listening to you talk and I'm looking at verses 24 to 28 of Ezekiel 36. Very encouraging. Like you said, I will take you 
from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So God is the one who does it. He's the one who goes and gets. He's the one who repents, like you said. And whenever we see this language of the land, I know we've said this before, but people need to immediately be thinking of new heavens and new earth language. Like this is salvific language. Well, he's going to confirm that in the next chapter. And and I don't want to like steal our thunder here, but so it's salvific in scope. This is not, because I I think the observation must be made that yes, the people return to the land under Ezra and Nehemiah and all that kind of stuff, but it's never the boundaries of the land as prophesied by some of the prophets that will expand. That never occurs in an earthly sense. There's a lot of things that are prophesied about Israel returning into the land and what that will be like that do not happen in time and space. That's right. And so it's clearly an eschatological redemptive new heavens and new earth scope to this thing. But then verse 25, like you said, there's cleansing. And that's where we might even point to justification, that our sins are cleansed by the blood of Christ, that we have washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb, that kind of language. And then I'll give you a new heart, right? And I'm going to put my spirit within you. So this regeneration and and a new life that we have. And I'm going to put my spirit in you to cause you to walk in my statutes. Obedience, that's clear, sanctification. Verse 28, you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I'll be your God lest we question whether glorification and final salvation are in view. I think it clearly is. Like he's going to do it all. And uh, it's an encouraging word. I'll just go and say this now because I think sadly, whenever people consider the sovereignty of God and salvation, Mm. immediately the conversation always devolves into this argument over fairness and Mm. doctrines of election and predestination and reprobation and all this kind of stuff. And that's fine. I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for that conversation. But we, first and foremost, when it comes to this topic, should be greatly encouraged. Because whenever we see imagery of like stones and dead things like bones that are dry and all that kind of stuff, we should see ourselves there and realize that we were unwilling and unable utterly to do anything about our condition Mm. and that we're helpless. We were weak. And we were God's enemies. Like it's, nothing's good. There's nothing good at all. And yeah. God is the one who comes in and says, it's, it's, in one sense, it's okay because I'm the one who's going to do this. I'm the one who promised it long ago. And I'm the one who's going to make good on the promise to save mm-hmm. people through the promised offspring of Eve. And so let this encourage your soul yeah. that you didn't contribute anything. There was nothing special about you. And you are not decisively contributing anything today. It is God who keeps you. It is God who sanctifies you. And it is God who will bring you home because Christ is your intercessor and your advocate. That's right. Now, sometimes there's a confusion here in Ezekiel 36 and like, well, you know, he's kind of using a metaphor of the heart and stone and, you know, we're not really dead. It's just kind of like where it's hard to believe God's got to soften us up. But once he softens us up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Once he softens us up, then, you know, we, we meet him kind of halfway through faith and it's just, there's just no way you can come to that conclusion. But if you want to try to Ezekiel goes, God goes, okay, Ezekiel, I got something else for you. So he transports him into this vision out in the desert. Okay. Chapter 37. Right. And what he says to him is, he says here, um, 
we will just start in verse three. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So first of all, I love how he describes them. Verse verse two, so Ezekiel 37, two. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry, meaning that there were no cells left that you could possibly exactly. say there was life. I, exactly. I love for all of eternity, for all of time, it's very, not dry, but very, very dry, very. a.k.a. Right. these de- these bones is dead. Like these these <laughs> bones aren't fresh dead. They're long dead. You know? It, That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's so good. And he said to me, son They're of man, dead, dead. can these bones live? You know? And I'm just thinking this conversation between Ezekiel and, and God, and Ezekiel's kind of like, oh, man, is this a trick question? Uh, well, he's, yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Like, so that he you, goes, uh, you know the answer. Oh Lord, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he says. Oh, yeah. So then he says to prophesy over the bones and mm-hmm. to to preach, and it's a picture because he begins to uh, prophesy, and it's a picture of the proclamation of the yeah. gospel. And it says, as he's proclaiming, he says, "I will cause breath to mm-hmm. come into them." And I love this language because it is very much creation mm-hmm. language because out yeah. of the dust. What, yeah. where, did, where did God form us? And then oh, yeah. after he formed us, what did he, he said? He breathed the life into us. This is a second death. No, sorry, this is a second creation. It's this a is second a second birth. Birth. I, if I may briefly interject, Please. this is why we should rightly say that in describing our condition, we were not sick in need of healing. We were not right. you know, dirty in need of cleansing, Right. We were right. dead in need of resurrection. I mean, Amen. and that's what God has said that he would do. It's what the Lord has done for his people through history. And I think your observations are spot on. Yep. So the as you um, as you continue to read through it, it says, you know, I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, so Ezekiel starts to prophesy and as he's prophesying, he's, he watches these bones start to rattle. And they come together, and as they stick together, then the sinews come on, and then the mm-hmm. flesh comes on, and then they stand. Well, then they're there, and then he's like, call for the four winds to come. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating that he uses this metaphor of wind, and then the calls for the wind, and it comes, and breath comes in, and this massive army stands up. And at the end of it, God says, these people I will bring into my land. Now, here's here's where it's going to get important. But before, before we jump into this section with David, I just want to make a couple of observations because um, this whole section with David and covenant theology is important, but I don't want to lose uh, here. So if you go to John chapter 3. I was getting and, ready to say, come on now. <laughs> well, we can jump on it together. John 3 is Jesus is uh, definitely aware of Ezekiel. I mean, Ezekiel 36 on. and 7. Yeah, that's it's right. It's very clear. Very In his clear. conversation with Nicodemus. That's yes. right. He says uh, to Nicodemus, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I know Jesus has in mind this new creation because Paul even of says course. we're a new creation. We're a new creature. We've been recreated. Right. And I mean, when Jesus says things like, "If unless you're born of the water and the spirit, it's it's Ezekiel 36. That's because right. it's where God says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and I'm going to put my spirit within you. Like in, in, in Jesus is saying those exact words to Nicodemus, unless you're born this way, then you will not enter the kingdom of God. Amen. And then of course the four winds language, John, go ahead and give them John three, eight, if that's where yeah. you were going to go. Yeah, that's where I, I mean, was going. I don't want yeah, to steal. So it says, your, do not yeah. marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
Right. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it right. is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Exactly. I don't I don't think don't miss that. Right. It's like I mean, Jesus it, is definitely making reference to Ezekiel. Of course he is. It could not be more clear. Yeah. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness: A Primer on Rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org primer. And of course, Jesus later mentions Numbers 21, alludes to Numbers 21, where he talks about how just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever like looks upon him, whoever believes in him might have eternal life. So it's a beautiful exercise. I mean, Jesus does this all the time. I mean, he he's does. the one that says, yeah. you know, that obviously you search the scriptures thinking that in them you find eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. Uh, Moses wrote about me, right? Beginning in the law and the prophets and all these kinds of things. He explains to his disciples everything that was written concerning himself, like Luke 24 language. We're not making this stuff up. I mean, he did this even during his earthly ministry. And with Nicodemus, he does it beautifully with the Ezekiel 36 and 7 imagery that he picks up on and also the Numbers 21 imagery to demonstrate that this is the way of salvation. This is who does the saving. This is how this will go. And in particular, I'm the one that's going to accomplish the work. And then even the application of my work is going to be done by the Spirit this way. It's yeah. really cool. It is. Yeah. It is. So uh, just to make a connection there um, with the whole Valley of Dry Bones, he then goes on to prophesy. And this is why Justin and I would hold the fact that he's not talking about the actual land of Israel, but he is talking about the promised land. Because when you right. go and continue to read in chapter 37, he makes these promises. Like if you look with me at verse 24, oh, yeah. my servant David shall be king over them. Oh, man. We're about to now, get David, into that. David's been dead for several hundred years at this point. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we are we going to take this literal? No. But we're going to take it literally how he meant it. We're going to take is, it typologically. That's right. D which is Davidic Christ. covenant, right? David's and, greater son. That's right. Oh, yeah. And they will have one shepherd, which is uh, going back to chapter 34, because mm -hmm. he is the great shepherd. Yes, and they is. shall walk in my rules and, and be careful to else, obey my statutes. Somebody else said that about himself, that he's the good shepherd. Hmm, I wonder who that would have been. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Right. And jumping down to verse 26, and I will make a covenant of peace with them, and they shall mm -hmm. be an everlasting covenant with them. Mm -hmm. And I will set them in their, in land, their land and multiply them and they in my sanctuary. And he goes on to describe the presence of God going to be with them as and Christ is king. Amen, brother. I mean, and that's that's straight up Revelation 22 language. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. So what's so well, the reason why we are getting all geeked up about this is that God describes like you, I don't know how you get more dead than dead. I don't know how you get right. more than a stone than a rock. You know, it's like, and then, and then it's, it's not that he kind of picked you up and dusted you off and said, okay, let's get you going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Every area of what is required. So you, your repentance, your cleansing. So, right. Your, your justification, your sanctification. So he, he call he calls you to himself. He cleanses you. He then infuse, he not infuses you, but he gives you the spirit 
so that you can actually believe. And then he says, my spirit will empower you to obey. But on top of that, your final destination, which is with the king in -hmm. the land forever, that's all part of giving to you as well, because that's the righteousness of the king given to you, not your obedience. So the, from beginning to end, you go from dry bones to son of the king. It's beautiful language that's being used here. And I just want to make this one last connection here, Justin, and then we can kind of uh, try to see how much time we got here. Not much. Nope. Yeah. I think it's important that the reason why Justin and I think that preaching Christ from all of scripture and the sufficiency of Christ and to dead sinners and reminding them of their deadness, because this is exactly what Paul does in Colossians chapter two and verse six, mm-hmm. listen to these words. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so how did we receive him according to Ezekiel, right? He mm-hmm. repented us. He cleansed us. He gave us faith. I mean, it, it was all an act done to us, right? Yeah. So we received it. The easiest way to say this is we received it by grace alone, through Christ alone, by mm-hmm. faith alone, right? So he says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Mm-hmm. rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That means our life is always reflecting back on God doesn't trust us to save ourselves. God does not trust us to sanctify ourselves. Mm-hmm. And God definitely does not trust us to glorify ourselves. Otherwise, Paul would have said, well, you begun this way, but this is how you continue. For sure. And obviously my head is in the book of Romans because that's where I'm preaching these yeah. days. And so I'm immediately making connections in my own mind pastorally, like as we think about how dead we were, how we had hearts of stone, how everything was ruined and everything was lost. And it's just utterly hopeless. Yet God comes in and says, this is what I will do. I'm going to do it through my servant, David, right? Who is your representative? And this is Jesus, of course. And, but this is how this works. And I'm going to do the work and I'm going to bring you to myself. I'm going to regenerate you. I'm going to justify you. I will sanctify you and I will glorify you. I'm mindful of Romans 5, 6 and following that while we were still weak, right? I mean, this means we were unwilling, but unable to do anything about our condition. We couldn't do anything that would like evoke something in God that he might love us, that he might make a move toward us, that he might save us. We couldn't do anything with respect to keeping God's law. So while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, not for godly people, not for people who showed potential, you know, nothing like that, but died for ungodly people. And God's love is demonstrated through this. And then the the guarantee of future hope, right? Since therefore we've been justified by the blood of Christ, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So this is how we should think, that if this is what was true and this is what God did, how much more so now that we have been justified by the blood of Christ, will Christ finally save us in the end? Hmm. Verse 10 of Romans 5, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, meaning the indestructible life of our representative who is Jesus, who is our advocate and who is our intercessor. He's our high priest, right? So it should comfort us that this was our condition. This is what God did. And that has future ramification for what God will continue doing Mm. and what God alone will finish so much for final justification, you know, when it comes to things like this, because right. God doesn't speak in those terms. I mean, no. God makes it very plain 
He'll do it. And the present reality of our reconciliation with the Father and our justification in Christ means that we will be finally saved. Mm -hmm. And that is not just a New Testament idea. It is very clearly taught in the Old Testament, in this case, from the prophet Ezekiel. And it's very encouraging. Yeah, my my final thoughts here, and then we'll carry this over into SR for sure. But uh, and I'll let you take care of that, Justin. But I I find it interesting. One of the things that I am trying to uh, bring into Theocast, bring into my church. This is a big theme in Kingsmen. Is that the the pathway to real joy, stability, mm-hmm. and power is through weakness. Yeah, it really is. Um, when God describes you, he doesn't even describe you as weak. He describes you as like deader than dead. Mm-hmm. And then when he brings you alive, you are in the power and his strength, but you're still coupled, Satan center, right? Similiusus effector. Oh, yeah. So you're still coupled with the flesh. And that flesh part of you has to be suppressed and the spirit has to always be fed, right? Walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this is why things like... um. First Timothy 4.13, people who are empowered by the Spirit, people who have the regenerated heart, they're still weak, though. Mm-hmm. And this is why God in his kindness says that things like this from Paul to, to Timothy, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Why? Because this, keep close watch on yourselves and on the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The point of it mm-hmm. is, we need a constant diet of the church gathering around the message of Ezekiel and hearing it and being exhorted in it because we often forget it, right? Oh, yeah. um, this is We know 2 Timothy 4.1. He's charging them, preach this, preach it, preach it, preach it, Timothy, because people will forget it with itchy ears. They're going to go after, hey, this is how you do it. This is how you become better instead of depend, rest, run to cling tightly to Christ, right? The hope of our eternity. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, brother. And I think there will probably be podcasts coming <laughs> regarding just the means of grace and the preached word and the mm-hmm. gathered church and how this is God's design and plan for us. Yeah. And we do need to gather regularly to hear this word proclaimed Amen. because it is through the proclamation of the word that God not only gives life and imparts faith, but it's how he sustains and nourishes and strengthens his children. Amen. You see that in Ezekiel 37. You see it from the beginning of Romans where Paul says that he's eager to come and preach the gospel to the saints who are in Rome. And yeah, man, I look forward to that conversation whenever the Lord would allow us to have it. Amen. And for now, you and I are going to go and have another conversation in the Semper Reformanda podcast. And yeah. SR for short, as we like to call it around here. And SR, if you're wondering what that is, that is a ministry of sorts, but it's also a second podcast for our members, people who have partnered with Theocast to support us financially. And it gives you access to a number of things, including this podcast, but you can become a part of a community of people. We have an app where those people like to go and hang out and ask questions and encourage one another, sharpen each other. And you don't get a lot of the nonsense that you get on other social media platforms. So I enjoy it myself. And I think you would too. If you're curious about what it would be like to be an SR member, you can find the info on theocast.org. That's our website. You're intelligent people. We leave that to you. But for now, John and I are going to go and have another conversation that we trust many of you will come and listen to. And if you are, for whatever reason, not going to listen to this conversation, we will talk with you again next week if our Lord has not returned. Grace and peace. 